Welcome to the Persistence You podcast with Lisbeth, and that's you as in university. But we're much more of a community here. I'm your host, Lisbeth Meredith, author, speaker, and online teacher. Each week, I'll be delivering stories from amazing survivors and strivers, all threaded together with a dose of persistence. So glad you're listening. Thank you. Welcome back, Persisters. This week, I am so elated to share my new guest. Evelyn Latore is an author and an amazing person with a fantastic story. And so I met Evelyn because we are published memoirists from the same publisher. She writes press and I have so enjoyed connecting with her. And so welcome, Evelyn. And Evelyn, can we just start with a little bit of backstory. You and I have a very similar story until it's completely different. Both of us in our youth met someone from a different country. Both of us married that person. And your ending is the stuff of legends. Not that it's ending, but uh, I love your story. So can you please share with my audience, uh, share with our listeners, how it was that you came to meet your husband, where you were, and then we'll go from there. Thank you so much for being here. Well, I love uh, talking to people about my book. And I think part of it is because it wasn't all traumatic. Uh, But I was attracted to your book when you spoke to a group of She Writes Press authors uh, and talked about podcasts. I, I very much appreciated your reaching out to help us. But immediately I looked up your book and I thought, wow, this is a book I have to read because she also (laughs) married someone from another country. Right. (laughs) And then I had to keep going because I thought, oh, this has to end out well. But of course, (laughs) I don't want to say what the end is. Uh, And and you must have read the end of my book to know how it ends because a lot of people that read it, it's touch and go. I mean, for 360 pages or something, you don't know whether the romance between Antonio and Evelyn is going to last, what's going to happen. So Can you tell us about how you met. How did you meet Antonio? How well, old were you? I guess, I, I don't know if I believe in fate or not, but it was kind of a, a strange circumstance. I was in the Peace Corps in the early days, and it wasn't as organized as it is now. Yeah, we're just celebrating our 60th anniversary this year of the Congratulations. Peace Congratulations. And there have been uh, 280,000, I think, volunteers that have gone to other countries. A good many of them have uh, married natives from those countries. Okay. A good many of them have also divorced natives from those countries. <laughs> and uh, so when I got to Peru, uh, they didn't have a place for me. And the places that they suggested... Uh, really were so out in the hills that they were so hard to get to. And, and there was another girl, uh, Marie, and I, and we hardly knew each other. We were in the same group of 102 um, volunteers, and we were in training at Cornell, and then we went to Puerto Rico. And when we got to Peru, and then we were sent, there were eight of us that were sent up to the Andes Mountains to Cusco, we discovered everybody else was placed except us. So we said, let's ask to go together. And that was fortuitous because Marie was fluent in Spanish. She had spent most of her childhood in Mexico and so was very fluent in Spanish. And she even had taken some of the native uh, Quechua language, which I wish I had been fluent in. 
But anyway, um, so we found our own place that we were going to go and, and one that wasn't eight hours by horseback. And it happened to be the capital of the Aparimac uh, region. And uh, one day we were about to go out to this place that I was saying was like eight hours by horseback. And we, we really didn't want to go. We said, what if we have appendicitis or some medical thing? And then during the winter, when it rains, you can't even get down these paths with horses. So we, so uh, another volunteer who was about to leave uh, had finished two years said, well, there's this guy in town in Cusco who has uh, been asking for volunteers for two years. He works with the Food for Peace program. His name is Adolfo Eguiluz. And uh, I, I know he's in town. So he introduced us to what would soon, be, well, not soon, in two years would be my future father-in-law. And so that's how we, we, we he described a Shangri-La, Abankai, he said was, you know, a temperate climate, uh, mountains all around, uh, you know, it was uh, just a lovely place. And so we, it sounded so much better than what where we were originally supposed to go. And we asked our uh, regional director, can we go to Abankai? And he said, well, you can go out and take a look at it and see if that's a place you want to go. We said, we don't even have to look at it. We're going. And from then on, uh, I got to know Adolfo Egelus. And um, we didn't actually work for the Food for Peace program, uh, which would have been mixing dry milk that came from the United States. Uh, but uh, the family, and especially my future mother-in-law, Olivia, invited us down to eat at her house almost every day. And one day uh, we were back in Cusco and we saw Senor Egilus again. And we said, what are you doing in Cusco? And he said, oh, I'm here to pick up my son. And we said, oh, well, how old is he? And he said, oh, he's 19. Well, I was 21, I think, or 22 at the time. And I said, oh, 19, that's too young. <laughs> and then he was in the university. And so he, he went back to Abankai for his vacation, uh, which their their school year is the opposite of ours. So um, I think that was in February of 1965 that I, I uh, met him. And we were immediately attracted, but I have to admit, I kind of took the lead. So you have to read about it. <laughs> you were the older woman. So yes, by yes. a year so. <laughs> months older. Yeah. Right. Oh my goodness. Oh, that's uh, fantastic. But, but then I thought, I thought I could just stop at any time. Right. I just thought, you know, this is a dalliance, you know, he's fun to be with light, nice guy. I mean, I spend a good part of the book showing how what a sensitive guy he was. So I, I was impressed with him. Oh, yeah. that's fantastic. And then what happened to speed the relationship up? Well, it took all of all of the time I was there. I met him in February of 1965, and I didn't leave until June of 1966. But uh, I'd say a year after we left, uh, after we, we got there, um, things, they, they, they would, we would, uh, think we would be okay. Okay. The problem was he was a university student, had no money, had no skills. And so there was no way 
that he could support a wife and a family. So I, I didn't entertain any idea of marrying him. I mean, you know, he's a nice guy. Um, but uh, I, and I was raised very Catholic. So no, you know, I went down there a virgin and I planned to stay a virgin. And um, (laughs) there are two things in the book that convinced my, I said to him more than once, and he, he didn't pressure me a lot, but we really were so attracted to one another. I mean, I I won't go into the details, but we were like magnets. And most of the time we were, you know, together, but then half the time we'd repel each other. And so I just didn't know. So your question was, what happened to speed it up? Well, you have to read the, the, it doesn't get sped up very much until the very end of the book. And then it's very precarious. I mean, when I think that we almost did not marry and get together, I I don't know. We would have had totally different lives. Right. Exactly. So you end up ultimately marrying him. Was your family happy about it? I mean, how did that work out in your family when you said, I've gone to this volunteer experience and, you know, I've fallen in love. Now I'm getting married. What was their reaction like? Well, first of all, I was writing, I have three sisters and two of them were in college. And I would write more honestly to them and say how I had met this guy and how nice he was. And my sister, who was at Santa Clara, University of Santa Clara, a Jesuit university, wrote some letters that really made sense to me. And one was like, you can't betray your body. You are who you are. And you can't just go along with theory and a bunch of rules. You need you need to follow your heart is pretty much what she was saying. I don't know if she ever did that herself, but right. it was... <laughs> Good timing for me. In your 20s, that sounds great. (laughs) Right. Well, and another thing was we had, I I was like a daily mass goer. Uh, I mean, I was in high school. I went to a Catholic high school and then I went to a Catholic college. And um, so I was just a very devout person. And in Abankai, there were like four or five places to go to mass and the same number of places to go to confession. <laughs> I remember uh, I went and confessed how physical uh, Antonio and I were getting, which I knew probably was against church rules. We weren't having sex or anything, but, you know, it was leading that way. And this elderly priest got really upset with me, not because of what I was doing, but because I couldn't say the entire act of contrition in Spanish. So then I switched and went to some American Maronol missionaries that lived up the hill and I knew them. So when I went to confession there, I thought the priest had to know who it was because there were only two people that spoke English and yet my Marie was not a Catholic. And, um, and he said, look, you're only doing what comes naturally after a year, a couple really ought to get married. And I, I, I thought, well, is that the same as wanting to get married? He, I think his exact question was, do you plan to get married? And I interpreted that, that if we plan to get married, then having sex with Antonio would be okay. And so, uh, so, but it wasn't until I was about to leave the country that we got, you know, intimate. So sure. sure. Um, 
So and then when you announced your wet, your impending wedding to your family, like what? Oh, was- yes. Right. Right. Well, my mother kept warning me, look, you've been away for two years. You don't make any big decisions. My father felt sure that uh, whatever guy that I met and I had been proposed to by 12 other Latin Americans. So it wasn't something that Very was nice. unusual. <laughs> I, I just always was attracted that right. way. I, I don't. I just and I I still like dark hair, dark eyed men. I think they they display a lot more passion. Um, anyway, uh, so no, my parents were against it, but uh, we didn't communicate in those days by telephone. There weren't cell phones, and the telephones didn't work. Once or twice, I would call my mother. She worked for the Newark Police Department here in the Bay Area. And I would call her on one of these uh, short rave radio phones that some other priests had. But she was too busy answering the phone at the police department. So she never had time to really talk to me and Uh talk me out of what I was doing. I mean, I I never told her. I never told her that I was or anything else. So you didn't tell her until it was like happening, basically. Yeah. Well, I think our first. Our first intimate encounter was on my dad's birthday. There's a, a chapter in my book that says uh, birthday present for dad, <laughs> for daddy, I think it was. So, so they so found out. Okay. I wrote to them, right. I wrote to them uh, saying, by the time you get this letter, I will be married to Antonio. Oh, my goodness. And my sisters eventually told me that my dad hit the ceiling and was really upset. And my mother is very much, uh, she was, uh, she makes the best of things and I do too. So, so that's what happened, but I didn't plan to stay in Peru, which is why we hadn't entertained seriously the idea of marriage because I, I just didn't think I could live in Peru. And Antonia is a very intelligent person and, uh, I didn't want to rob the country of an intelligent person, but he saw no future. the way he was going, he was studying economics and he didn't like economics. He wanted to study physics and math. And uh, so anyway, so, um, so he agreed to, to leave everything he'd ever known and follow me on because of love. Right. That's huge. uh, And that's another thing that I kept saying, no, well, he kept reminding me that I had a lot more opportunities than he did. And he, he always felt and always has, felt that I should take those opportunities when they're, when they come along. And he would help me with my, I was uh, applying to graduate school in social welfare and he would, you know, encourage me to do that. Ironically, his biological father lived in Ohio. Oh my goodness. Okay. And that's another story that I, I recount is he was born out of wedlock. His mother was uh, Miss Cusco, very pretty. And I guess his biological father, I don't know. uh, It's one of these things that people don't talk a lot about, including him. So I'm not sure what happened, but I, I know that he left her probably a few months before Antonio was born. Okay. His parents, his parents actually pulled him back to Lima. His, his, father was a lawyer in Lima. And I think it was that they didn't see that the mother, his mother was, I don't know, good enough for, I don't know. I'm guessing. Okay. But I, I do put my guesses into the book. So he had been communicating now and then with his biological father who lived in Ohio. 
And so when I met him, I thought, well, sure, his biological father can sponsor him and and then he can go to the United States and he can, you know, mature, (laughs) get as mature as I was. And uh, and then 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 we could have a future. But his father wrote back and said, no, he'd have to know English fluently. He'd have to have a skill and he'd have to be able to get a job. Sure. And he was right. That's what you have to do to make it in the United States. But there was no way that Antonio could do that living in Peru. I mean, he tried, was trying to learn English, but in no way was he fluent. Right. In fact, he helped me become more fluent in um, Spanish. So, you know, I, I wasn't correcting his English. He was correcting my Spanish while I was there. So, oh, and then he well. some Quechua. So, anyway. So, you're, you did end up getting married, which is, wow. That's- really, at the very end, yeah. Just, just. Actually, I had left the Peace Corps, and um, and and then we were married. Yeah. Okay. So. Okay. Now then, so then, so each I don't know how this was with you when you wrote your book. Yours is different, but I had a question that I wanted to answer in my first book. I thought, how can somebody who thought she was going to be a nun, because that's in the book too, that um, with all this Catholic education. I thought that I was destined to become a nun. I got a scholarship, a tuition scholarship to um, Holy Names College because when the nuns came around and were talking about going to the college, I said to the head of the psychology department, who later became a good friend, Sister Paulina Mary, I went up to her after the, the, uh, the description of the college, and I said, well, I'd really like to go to Holy Names, but I've been accepted to San Jose State, but I'm sure I'll lose my religion if I go to San Jose State. So she gave me a president scholarship as long as I kept my grades up. And uh, so I had a free ride in college. So I thought, well, I should really become a nun. I had all this, you know, it just, I mean, because that kind of is what they do. They are looking for, yeah, I mean, they want you to make your own decision. But I really, uh, instead of going into the convent, I joined the Peace Corps. And so, the, and then, so I, my question was, how could somebody who was so, you know, dead, devoted to her religion that she was going to be a nun and uh, went to daily mass and was so devout, end up being pregnant before she got married? Right. The question is answered. Yeah. Good. Good. And when did you know? that you wanted to make this into a book, which then turned into two books. There are a lot of people who will say after the age of, let's say, 40, you know, like, oh, I wanted to be a writer, but I can't because I never did it. And now it's too late. And you did not think that. In fact, when you went in, you went all in. You have another book coming out soon. So can you tell a little bit about when you knew you wanted to write this story that became two books? Well, I've always liked writing. Uh, and reading. And I think the two go hand in hand. When I, I grew up in Montana and a little town and there wasn't a lot to do uh, when there wasn't school. And my mother got the school one summer or maybe a couple summers to open up the library to just her kids. And so I would go in there and I could check out any book that I wanted. And I read books that I didn't even think I'd be interested in. And they had all the classics. And I mean, I can still remember reading Ivanhoe and some of those. So I loved reading. And my mother had this rule that if you were practicing the piano or you were reading, 
you could get out of doing the dishes. So I read a lot to practice the piano. So we can thank her for that. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah that's true. And um, I kept a diary uh, for a while in high school. I think somebody gave me a diary for Christmas one year. And then when I uh, travel, and I've traveled to almost 100 countries now, most of them with my husband, um, I always keep a journal. And that was true in the Peace Corps. I mean, anytime I went, when I went to Mexico, I, I kept a journal. I, I just kept journals. Now, for my second book, I came back to the States and six months later had a baby. So you can imagine I wasn't having time to keep up a journal. Sure. And for, you know, 55 years, I haven't really kept kept a, a journal except when I travel. And um, so for that one, I do write a Christmas letter every December and I keep a copy and I had letters back to the 1970s and the letters say what happened when, because what do you do in a Christmas letter? You kind of hit the high spots. That's and right. And forget the low spots. Thing. <laughs> the unfortunate thing is I didn't put in some of the struggles that I was having. Right. <laughs> so I had to remember those. But as you know, when you start writing, things bubble up from your unconscious. There's almost, you, you you can't put everything in a book and it has to have a theme. And so the, the question that I had in the second book was, how in the world did the two of us make it and stay together when, when over 50% of the people we knew divorced, some very bad divorces, two of my sisters. I mean, I, I could go on. My parents, my father always wanted to be able to walk his one of his four daughters down the aisle. I was the only one that really got married in the Catholic Church in a traditional ceremony. And but my mother felt that I set a bad example because I was pregnant before I got married. So she didn't I guess she, that didn't count anyway. Right. Oh, dear. Well, and here you are these years later about to celebrate. How many years did you say? Uh, 55 years. It'll be 55 years married in, in June. Yeah. Oh, that is wonderful. And talk about persistence. I mean, that takes a lot of showing up again and again and again. And then at what, at what point in your marriage did you say to yourself, this is really it. This is going to, this is the one and only person that, you know, till the end, we're going to be together. Well, neither of us really were enticed by other people. I mean, sure. I don't think I ever thought, well, there's somebody better. I certainly thought that there probably would have been somebody that could have helped support the family better had I not married somebody that had to go to college and then acquire a skill. And then he didn't turn out to be that good, you know, in interviews. So uh, I, you know, that's an interesting question. Maybe 10 years ago, um, so 45 I, years in, yeah, I love it. Really? <laughs> because it, cause we have had our difficulties and, our, and we're two different people. But I think the one thing that, that may have kept us together is that he respects who I am and I respect who he is. And we're very different people. But I married the kind of guy that I think I thought I would like. And even though there were many times that I thought, no, this shouldn't have, I shouldn't have. Uh, because we struggled in a lot of different ways. I mean, there's a whole year and a half where he goes back to Peru to teach. Oh, okay. That's a book. And so I'm a single mother. And I thought, well, this is it. He's out of my system. And then I went to visit him in Peru and 
fell in love all over again. So I, I think it, 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 he was just, he's a nice guy. And a lot of my friends are, are envious too, that, you know, I found somebody that good, but I, I had to work, I had to work at, to maintain it. And so did he. Sure. So, absolutely. And then to write about it. Um, I first thought that the book would be for my sons. I dedicate the first book to my sons. I, the second book I dedicate to my husband. Probably none of the three will ever read my books. Okay. And the, I'm okay with that. In fact, no, I'm preferring it because I can put in whatever I want. And then, <laughs> I yeah. mean, I do, I do tell my sons if I'm mentioning them and my older son just, I, I, in my second book, I put in a scene where we're at uh, uh, Universal Studios and the shark jumps out of the water. And I write that we all screamed. And my older son said, Mom, I'm sure I didn't scream. I wouldn't scream. So I may have to change that word. But you never know what's going to offend someone in a memoir. My experience is that people are either sad that you included them because they didn't like how they were included or they're mad because you did not include them. You cannot win. So if you have a family that's kind enough not to read it, fantastic. (laughs) I was lucky with some of my family and less than others. So that is a tricky thing in writing memoir because we all remember things differently don't so that's exciting. Now, where can when is your next book coming out, and where can people find out more about you and when to get it? When, well, I'm going to Rights Press again, and they're publishing it September 28th of this year, 2021. Fantastic. And um, during the pandemic, we've all been kind of encouraging people to buy our books from independent bookstores to keep them alive. Absolutely. Uh, Frankly, most people just find it easier to go to Amazon and, you know, download the book because that's where you can download it from. Uh, But if you want a paperback copy, you can get it from any bookstore. They have to order it. And I'll tell you a secret. I think uh, with my first book, the people that ordered it from bookstores got it like a week before the people who ordered it on Amazon. Well, that's wonderful. People were writing me and saying, so-and-so got her book already. What's going on? Well, you know, you have no no power over when people get it from Amazon, but they don't send it out until publication date. I'll be uh, darned. But, but the bookstores can order it ahead of time, and they're not supposed to let it out until the publication date, but I think a lot of them do, or some of them do. So if you go to my website, which is www.evelynlatory.com, and uh, there are two buttons. Uh, one, uh, you can just push the buttons and they'll give you a list, Barnes and Noble, Amazon uh, and independent bookstores. And the independent bookstore button will tell you what store nearest you, you, you might order it from. Fantastic. I love that. That is, yeah. that's a terrific option. Yeah. I like that it's easily accessible. And also another good thing people can always do is ask their library to carry a book that they're interested in. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Libraries are just such great supporters of writers. Yeah, no, great idea. Um, you know, there is a, a site you can go to and find out which libraries in the world have your book. Nice. And I was surprised it's in Australia. It's in Germany. It hasn't been translated. I I wish I had enough money to get it translated into Spanish because that's the language that should be in because a lot of the people that are in it, you know, they all only speak Spanish. Sure. But um, but yeah. uh, And and my local library has several copies. Yeah. 
Oh, that is really exciting. Well, I am excited about your new book and so grateful that you were with us today. And for everyone to think about, I'm going to put in the show notes the pictures you gave me of your wedding and then updated pictures. And for many, many of us who have not ever been married for a long period of time or don't imagine that we'll ever get to 55 years, that is just beautiful. That is something to be celebrated. Happy anniversary early in advance. And I can't wait. I've got your book, the first one, and I'm just looking forward to reading Between Inca Walls, a Peace Corps memoir and uh, getting to the end. Can I end. mention a caveat for you? Yes. My husband is a very private person, so he did not want his name, his real name in the book, and he didn't want any pictures of himself, which killed me because he's so handsome. Your site will be one of the few places that they'll be able to see what he looked like when he was young. Because oh, that's great. Pain. Does he know that he uh, is going to be on my, well, we I, have, I have <laughs> indicated there also, I think there's one picture on my website and he does not go on social media and I have told him and I mean, I don't think anybody, anything's going to happen, but he's sure. just a private person and I wanted to honor that. Absolutely. We're still married. (laughs) Right. That's right. I love that. Well, thank you so much for being here today. And I look forward to all that comes in your future with these books. Congratulations. It's no small feat. And thank you. And good luck with your podcasts. Thank you so much. All right. You have a great day. I'm going to hit. Okay. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. Thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed it, feel free to leave a review. And if you've really, really enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe. And I'll see you next week. Proud member of the Podnougan Network.